What is going on, console listeners out there in the multiverse? You're listening to the Earth-16 Comics Wire podcast, and I'm your host, Brian of Earth-16, and in this episode, I will be chatting with Ronnie Lescoufler of Cypher Comics on his project, Heavens Decoded. Let's get into this. What is going on, constant listeners out there in the multiverse? I hope you're having an awesome day today. Um, summer is just around the corner, and I'm really excited to be covering some more comics as the summer comes by. Um, the Superman Red and Blue series is going to continue, and I'm also going to be covering Mad Cave Studios' Battle Cats, which should definitely be fun. I'm also going to be covering the upcoming Robin series, and I will also love to cover Marvel Comics' King in Black. And I'm also planning to announce a special project in the works. So keep your ears tuned, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm just really happy to be doing this Earth-16 Comics Wire podcast. It's a, I just love doing it. I love interviewing creators, but I would also like to interview some passionate fans of just whatever it is that you like, whether it's comics, manga, science fiction, Star Wars, Star Trek, whatever, pro wrestling. I'm an open book, ladies and gentlemen. And you can definitely listen to a lot of my content on Spotify, and you can also listen to it on YouTube. And if you're definitely new to the YouTube channel, I I would love it if you liked my videos and subscribed to my channel, and hit the bell icon for any updates. Because right now I'm on YouTube, it would mean so much. It would mean the world to me so much. So that's pretty. So having said that, when we come back, I will be chatting with Ronnie Lescoufler on his comic Heavens Decoded. And I'm going to put the link of his Kickstarter of Heaven's Decoded on my Spotify and YouTube page. So that way you can check it out and you can pledge to the Kickstarter. And we talked a whole lot about this comic and how how it was inspired by a childhood friend and how the comic is about love and just the story of it all and so much more. So without further ado, here's my chat with Ronnie Lescoufler of Cypher Comics. Is out there in the multiverse, you are listening to the Earth 16 Comics Wire podcast on the Daily Planet. I'm your host, Brian of Earth 16, and with me today, and I have um, the creator of Heavens Decoded and the um, creator of Cypher Comics, Ronnie. How do you say your last name? <laughs> it's Lescu Flair. It's Lescu Flair. The S Lescu Flair. Yeah, dude, it's just like Ric Flair. <laughs> uh, some people call well, they call me Orion Zulu. That's that's my nickname. So that's the name that I go by on social media. But yes, that's my name. Awesome. How you doing? I'm doing very good. <laughs> welcome to the welcome to Earth 16. Man, ha- thanks for having me on, man. I've been excited about doing this for a long time. Yeah, I'm really excited about your comic, Heaven's Decoded, um, and that you're doing a Kickstarter on this. It looks really cool. It, I mean, when I looked at the comic, thanks. it felt like it was like some Stargate, Indiana Jones <clears throat> vibes, you know. Right. That's kind of like what I was going for. It's a, it's a cross between uh, Green Lantern, Indiana Jones, and um, and Jason Bourne. There's a lot of intellectual, uh, international spy intrigue that we're going to get into later on, um, you know, as the story develops. But um, there's a lot of science fiction, but there's a lot of um, sort of, I wouldn't say social commentary, but we delve into uh, space uh, cultures and um, how basically these cultures are sort of they could be sort of a mirror image of things that we experience here on Earth. It's just basically to show 
that maybe we're not as unique as we think we are and that maybe some other cultures out there could be going through something similar. But there's no there's no political agenda or statement in any of this. It's just all just good science fiction fun. I just wanted to draw back on my 80s upbringing, you know, and bring science fiction fun back, you know, that kind of feeling you got from yeah. blockbuster movies yeah. in the summertime when you went to go see a movie and it was action, it was, it was humor, there was a little bit of a drama, there was intrigue and... That's what I kind of want to bring to the table again. It, this is like, a, I want to say this is the like a, another, I don't want to use a name because it, it's, a, it's a comparison that I, I think is kind of crazy and arrogant, but I want to say it's like Star Wars for a new generation because as we know, Star Wars has kind of come to a close with, with the trilogies. Yeah. I kind of just wanted to put something else out there in the, in the creative sphere for other people to sink their teeth into to give them an idea of, Maybe there's other types of properties that fans can get into that are sci-fi that can be just also as exciting. Awesome. Yeah, I totally, totally agree. I mean, especially with, you know, there's so many stuff out there. Um, and also with several, like, you know, it's like with Star Wars, like you said, coming to a close. And then also you have Star Trek that was like, mm-hmm. that came before it. And all these other, um, all these other science fiction platforms like babylon 5 i heard was another good one it was kind of like a mm-hmm. casablanca in space right which right. i thought was really interesting you know i think it was created by michael j straczynski that's correct yeah yeah really good stuff so we're so, gonna get that was the code really is what, what i'm really trying to get into here is um this guy he's a he's an archaeologist and he has a passion for symbols and languages so He's a big key of the story. He's a big part of the story. But Heaven's Decoded really is a springboard. And I think we, uh, hopefully we might cover this later, but it's a springboard into the Cypher Comics universe. What that means is while this main character, uh, Dr. Rothman, he is the main character. He's not the only important character. So that was the challenge that I had in the in creative process was how do I let people know that he's the main character, but at the same time, open up some other avenues for uh, creative ventures later on with the story. Heaven's Decoded isn't just about this character. It is a a springboard to opening up the universe. So there's a lot of actually, I would say Easter eggs in the stories. Uh um, In this three parts, Uh, I would say about two years from now, people are going to go back and look through the series and say, oh yeah, this is where that started. Um, So I am sneaking them in and people will just have to pay attention and Probably someone will ask me about it two years from now and say, I knew that was, a, I knew that was something. I knew that meant something. Um, but yeah, that, that's what Heaven's Dakota really is. It's an it's introduction to many interesting characters that will be the basis and the foundation of a new universe. Wow. So you're, creating a, you're not only creating a comic, but you're also creating an entire universe. That's correct. Heaven's Dakota is the springboard. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, uh, really excited to, you know, see someone create their own universe, just like, you know, George Lucas creating the Star Wars universe or the Indiana Jones universe and just having all these characters branch out. And speaking of the characters, um, one of the character, one of my favorite characters in Heaven's Decoded is um, his name is like, um, I think it's uh, he's like the British one, uh, the British character. It's um, Colin, I think it is. Yeah, Lieutenant Colin Foster. Yeah, Colin Foster. He he is one funny dude, man. Like I just, <laughs> he has that James Bond wit, but he's just like yeah. James Bond who, you know, he's just like he's just like a James Bond who has his own family, but then at the same time though, it just yeah. Yeah, he's a mess. Um, I, I think he's probably the most challenging character that you know. Mm-hmm. I, I would love to sit here and tell you that he's a completely finished product because he's not. And what I mean by that is that his story hasn't been told yet. 
But I think you just alluded to something that we had talked about previously, that yes, he does have, um, he has a history with family. He, he has a history with, uh, with abusing alcohol. And so he's kind of come off of that. He's kind of, you know, um, he's going, he's been through recovery. Um, he's paid the price for some of his mistakes and choices in life, but he does have a family. He's, but you know, you said James Bond. That's an interesting sort of analogy because that's how I imagined him at first. But then I realized he's really not that. He's actually more of a rough and tumble kind of a, a rugby soccer fan. Uh, he's the kind of guy who likes to go and have a pint in the bar and hang out with the guys. Um, he's the kind of guy who'll get into a fight. Um, so he he seems refined, but he really is more of a rough and tumble kind of a guy. He's a he's a tactical expert. Um, he likes explosives and guns, and uh, he's a fanatic about war, World War II, history. So him and uh, Reggie, because Reggie is an archaeologist and he likes history as well. They, kind they make of, good friends. They, yeah, they make good friends because they like history a lot. Although the one thing that's the, you know, I would say the caveat with that friendship is that Reggie's a pacifist. Dr. Rockland is a pacifist. Um, or he's become a pacifist. Um, and that's the interesting part about, about Reggie is his background. Um, but yeah, so they're kind of on divergent paths. You know, Reggie's kind of trying to go away from the violent lifestyle, and we kind of touch on that in part one. I saw that, yeah. Yeah, and uh, but but Colin is all about it. He he'll get into a fight in a heartbeat. So he's he's the type of guy who wouldn't be afraid to like shoot first and ask questions later, kind of a. Absolutely, he's a little bit more reckless. I wouldn't go say loose cannon. He's not to that degree, um, because he is a high-ranking member of this space organization called Prism. He's the he's right underneath uh, Annie Colonel Annie Morneau. Uh, so he's high ranking and he takes his job seriously. So he's not as loose of a candidate as he used to be, but he still can, you know, he probably, probably say maybe a bit of a short temper at times. Uh, but he, he really <laughs> respects, he respects his job and he really loves what he does. Um, but yeah, he, he probably can be somebody, I think he's going to be a very interesting character going forward. I'm really going to enjoy uh, building and, and morphing him and, and uh, sort of exposing his story to the rest of the people. Yeah. And, and um. You you, know, you touch a lot on Reggie and like he's based on a buddy of yours who was also named Reggie. Yeah, that's right. So the, the genesis of this entire project of Cypher Comics, in fact, uh, was I decided to get back into comics because I had left the comics industry completely. Like I'm talking even collecting comics. I wasn't even going to local comic shops for like, I want to say 20 years, I think. Dang. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I had some bad experiences with it, with the, with comic fans in general. I was a reader at the time, and I wasn't making comics, but I sort of became a little disenchanted with the way that people were viewing comics at the time. And I guess you can call me a little old fashioned, okay? <laughs> I, I like superheroes, okay? And I, I started noticing there was a lot of venom towards superhero comics in, in the mid '90s, and um, that kind of pushed me away from comics a little bit. Um, I also, I lost the, um, I would say I lost the desire to make comics. I think life, you know, I got married, I had a kid. And so a lot of things happened and oh, yeah. I went into a, I went into a different path. I became like a party animal and I was a nightclub promoter and I, I lived a completely different lifestyle. Um, now I'm married again and I have a kid. So I'm more living the family life now, but I think about, I want to say a few, seven, eight years ago, I got a call that my one of my childhood friends, Reggie, um, had passed away. He was about a year older than me. So that kind of impacted me a little bit. And the story behind Reggie is that Reggie and my older brother were the two largest influences in my comic, um, I would say my cop comic fandom. Um, I started in comics around seven or eight years old. I didn't really know much about them, but I would go to Reggie's house and he had a, a room full of comics. 
And, you know, obviously, if you're seven years old, who doesn't love to read Superman, Batman, Spider-Man? I mean, that stuff was all over the room, you know? So I was like, he's falling asleep one o'clock in the morning, and I'm just shuffling through pages. I'm like, wow, this is cool. Like, there's actual stories here, you know? Because up at seven years old, my knowledge of comics at that time was Super Friends. Everybody, we couldn't wait to wake up on Saturday morning to watch Super Friends. Exactly. And that, that was my knowledge of comics. I didn't know anything about these heroes at all. I didn't know they had actual personal lives, and they had... Um, you know, struggles that they dealt with in their daily life. I, these things were interesting to me. For seven, eight years old, this blew me away. And so I started realizing that, wow, stories are interesting. And that's where my writing started, actually. Just in general, wanting to write and create. Um, and, but it started with Reggie. And then when I found out that he passed away, it, it impacted me. It brought me back to a place of, um, I felt like, you know, I talked to him when I was a kid about making my own comics one day. It was a fantasy of mine. It was a dream. And I kind of let sort of forgot about it. I had I did write a little bit when I was fourteen to fifteen, and I kind of just stopped. But when he passed away, it made me realize like, wow, I still can write. I can try, you know. So I was a little rusty and started writing some stories, and I didn't like them. But I said, you know, I kind of owe it to Reggie to just try, just try, you know. I said maybe Reggie would be happy if I did that. Yeah. So in actuality, the character Reggie is not really wasn't originally based on Reggie. It was based off of a superhero character. Um, that I created many, many years ago called Shine Shadow. That's a, Shine that's a revelation wow. to me. I never actually told anybody this story before. Um, but Shine Shadow was another character I created when I was a kid. And so I decided that I wanted to make a character off of that, that superhero. And then it morphed. It changed. R Reggie is not that guy. He's not Shine Shadow. He became, it became a different character completely, a different backstory. Um, when I met the artist, I had one origin, and before I could actually send him the plot of what I did, I decided I didn't like the origin, so I had to start from scratch. And that's why Heavens to Code it took two years, because when I first met him, I had already had one origin story written, and I didn't like it. It was a little bit cheesy, so I had to start everything from scratch again. And so he um, was very patient, and I threw ideas at him, and he said, yeah, try this, try that, let's see what that looks like. And Little by little, I started forming pieces of what Heaven's Decoded was going to be. And um, I, I liked the character. I wanted to be somebody who was a scientist. I wanted somebody who was going to be a person who was going to figure things out. Um, if you play video games, I know you, I saw your, your Twitch profile. You like games like I do. So yeah. I'm pretty sure you're familiar with Nathan Drake. Um, oh, yeah, from Uncharted. I love Uncharted. I love games like that. But I also like... Um, I played DC Universe Online. I don't know if you've ever played that game before, but I, I, I love games. here and there. Yeah, I like games where, like, or anything, not even just games, but even just puzzle games. Like, I can play... Or tabletop, you know, yeah. Crossword puzzles, jigsaw puzzles. Like, I like putting things together. And one thing that I thought about with this character is I wanted to make him somebody who used his mind. Because it's very important in today's society that we're not just... Um, and I'm not trying to bash anybody else's comics. But um, I see a lot of black characters in, in, in the diaspora. When I look in social media, I see a lot of black characters. They're all muscular. They're all super hyper-aggressive, and they show them punching people. And, and I thought about it, and I said, why don't we have a black Indiana Jones? Why don't we have a black professor? I know we do have some. I mean, I'm not saying that we don't. Um, I, I think... Uh, if I'm correct, Black Lightning. I know that you know the TV show. Is it yeah, like he's a like a. T I think he's like a principal or something. He's a principal, right? Like, see, I think we need more images like that. I'm not saying that we can't have other ones. I just think we need to have a balance. Yeah, like and more representation. Yeah. That's all it is, and and just maybe a variety also. 
And then, so I, I just don't feel comfortable promoting and advancing the idea that every black uh, character has to be hyper-aggressive and hyper-violent. That and makes that's sense. Kind of, that's kind of like where I came to. It was a little bit of my own personal stories back in, in his backstory, but um, not to give everything away, but Reggie basically has a history that makes him become a pacifist. He is a, he's a person who's been reformed. He's a sort of a kid who was a bad kid. And um, he becomes this sort of uh, recluse he becomes a bookworm in high school, and then he slowly starts to transform into this person who's fascinated by symbols. He's fascinated by languages. He's fascinated by, you know, hieroglyphics. And then he transforms from that person to, you know, being top third of his class. And he ends up going to to Harvard, and then he ends up in Oxford. Um, so he becomes a he becomes a scientist. And I and I think that was important to me to send a message to, to young kids. And I don't care what race you are, but that you can be one thing, it doesn't mean that has to define you. He was one thing at one time, and then he decided he wanted to go a different path. And so that's why I mentioned Indiana Jones, because you know we know he's like a, he's a professor, and he's chasing things and, 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 and artifacts around the world. Beating up Nazis. Beating up Nazis. My type of hero. I do not like <laughs> exactly. Nazis, man. <laughs> and, and I mean, I, I just thought that, you know, instead of just making a hero who's got superpowers, why not make him somebody who uses his mind as well? Like, we all Use love Batman. Mind, yeah. Everybody loves Batman, right? Because Batman is prep time and he, he, you know, he researches things and he figures out what, what his opponent's weaknesses are. And that's the kind of stuff that I think people really like. That, that's what engages people. And so I thought I wanted to make a character that, that represented my personalities, you know. I wasn't a, a thug in high school, and I, I didn't go around beating up people, so I was a nerd. So I made a character that was kind of like me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and um, he is, he's kind of a book smart guy. He likes science. He likes information. He likes facts. He likes history. And so it, it only makes sense that I made a character like that, and then I just gave him the name Reggie, you know? So I didn't really make the character pattern after Reggie's personality, per se. I made a character, and then I gave him Reggie's name as a... I would say as an homage to my friend because it's a comic book character, but I was inspired to do it because of Reggie, because what ha because he left too early. He left too early. I mean, he was 44 years old. Yeah, man. Um, it, was, it was diabetes, so he passed away in his sleep. That's that's so, that's, that's yeah. Wow. It, it was shocking because and, and then you know the other thing is just on a personal note, I had saw him. I want to say a year and a half before that. I haven't seen him in many years. It's one of those things where you have a childhood friend, you lose, you lose contact. You know, you, you know, you yeah. think you're close to people, but as everybody gets older, we kind of do our own thing, right? And and the lesson of all this is don't take things for granted. Um, yeah, he had, definitely. He was at, he was at my mother's house, and I saw him one day, and I hadn't seen him in years, and I didn't know how to talk to him anymore. We didn't, we weren't, we weren't the same people anymore. And uh, I could tell he was trying to talk to me, but he didn't know how either. It was kind of like really awkward. It was uncomfortable because we were these kids that were really, really super close. And all of a sudden, 10, 15 years later, we didn't know we were sitting in a room together watching TV and we didn't know what to say to each other. Dang. And so, you know, I don't want to I don't want to promote this picture that it was all, you know, roses. It, it was not a it was not an easy relationship in the sense of he was living his own life in, in Boston and I was in Florida and I was living a completely different life. But, you know, obviously I still cared about him. His family and my family are still close. Um, but when I found out that it happened, it made me realize at that moment that I had taken that from that, that moment for granted. That moment that I was sitting in the room with him, I had that moment to say all the things that I wanted to say, you know, but I didn't say them. And so now he's gone. 
So I feel like I owed something to him. I feel like I, I feel like I, I let that moment pass and I shouldn't have let it pass. So I felt like when I came back to comics and I found out he passed away, I felt it was the right thing to do was to make the character and name it after him. It was my way of saying, I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry that I didn't, um, I wasn't there for you. I didn't know that you were having diabetes. I didn't know the situation was that bad. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't really know how lonely he was or if he was in a good state of mind or not. I, I wish that I had, I had done more. I wish I had communicated with him and said, Hey, how you doing? What's going on? Or did you see Iron Man? What did you think Iron Man too? You know, those are conversations that we could have had because I know he liked that stuff. He was still, he was going to our Marvel movies and uh, all the DC movies. And those are things that we probably still had in common, but I didn't, I didn't reach out when I had those opportunities and I, I regret it now. So this was my way of sort of paying him back because if it wasn't for Reggie, I wouldn't be into comics today. Wow, man, that's, yeah, that, that's, I didn't, wow. I mean, talk about like, a, I mean, I guess, I mean, maybe this is a wrong phrase. I mean, maybe it was like a come to Jesus moment, you know? Yeah, no, you're right. No, it's the right, it's the right phrase. That's what it was. In actuality, it recentered me. It, it's sad to say that, but it made me realize that I had spent years not being myself. And what I mean by that is recentered me in a sense that it took me years to figure out that at heart, I'm still a writer. I wanted to write. Oh, yeah. Whether and by the way, I wrote poetry. I don't know if you read the bio in, in the uh, Heavens to Be Decoded, um, in this little book right here, in the bio in the here about me. Um, basically, I actually was a story writer. I was a poet. I used to write poetry. That works with the girls too. Trust me, guys. Write poetry. Um, <laughs> I used to write poetry. I was a rapper. I thought I was going to be a rapper one day, and you know, I rapped up until I was about 21, and I became a dad, and I left that go. Um, but I've always enjoyed writing, whether it's songs, poetry, or if you're talking about writing comics or you're writing fiction, whatever it is, it's always about storytelling. If you're a rapper, it's storytelling. If you're Bob Dylan, it's storytelling. It's always about telling a story. And oh, so yeah. in the end, I realized life came full circle. And what that means is when I met Reggie and we were talking about comic books, it was about stories. That's what I enjoyed about the comic books was the stories. And I wanted to do that. I wanted to recreate that. I want to say, wow, that's so cool. How do they do that? How do they make the artist draw that? How, do, how does the artist know what to draw? How do they know what to, what to say? Like, that stuff fascinated me. So then I had to figure out, how do they make comics? And then, you know, that, that book, uh, How to Make Comics the Marvel Way, everybody had that book, that big ass book. Yeah. <laughs> everybody got that. I got that too. The Marvel Method. Yeah, the Marvel Method. I got that too when I was 12. I mean, and I've been fascinated about how comics are made, the process, the writer goes to the pencil, the penciler goes to the inker, then the letter, then the color. Like, I was fascinated by it. And then I left it. I walked away from comics and then here I am right back in comics again. So the moral of the story is, you know, be true to yourself. Oh, yeah. I got away from being a writer. I tried to do a bunch of other things, but the fact of the matter is at heart, I'm a writer. And that's how I'm back here. And, and Reggie made me realize that again. So that's why I had to name the character Reggie. It's like, yeah, that's like a really cool homage in a sense. I mean, also just a reminder that, you know, that part of yourself that was always inside that you've forgotten, you know? I buried it. I buried it. Yeah. I mean, I think it has a lot to do with self-love too. And this is what um, my younger sister always talks to me about all the time. Wherever I'm at my lowest of lows, she always tells me, you know, remember, you know, you always got to love yourself no matter what. And yes. that that rings that totally rings true because if you love yourself, people are gonna you know other people are gonna love you you know and it's just 
that that that's that's true you know to the core i'm gonna break a rule i'm gonna break a rule now you um <laughs> you kind of gave me some hints about what some questions might be some of these i wasn't expecting you did surprise me <laughs> um but one question you did ask me and because we're talking about love one question you did ask uh where you you said you might bring it up is what was heavens decoded about and my answer actually was going to be that it took me a while to figure it out heavens decoded actually is drum roll it's about love wow heavens decoded is about love i know it's not the answer you expected but but it's funny because you said that and that made me think that's what i was going to talk to you about heavens decoded is about love and what i mean by that i don't mean heavens decoded uh, as in love is um like romance love i don't mean like rom-com love i mean love about love of humanity love of ourselves um love of life yeah. Um, so we're talking about appreciation is what we're talking about. We're talking about not taking things for granted. That's what heaven is encoded. Ultimately, when people figure it out, it'll be part one, part two, part three. I think after part three, people are going to realize what it's about. I'm not going to tell you guys exactly what that means. But by part three, the ending, people will understand. They'll understand everything and it, and it will come back to them and they'll say, yeah, he was right. It's about love. Wow. I like that. It kind of sounds poetic in a sense. Mm hmm. And like I can kind of see little bits of you know little bits of that too with some of the characters you know with uh, for instance there was this part I feel like with um, there was this one part I read in the first part of the comic where it was between Gralis and Terran mm -hmm. and you can tell that they were they, they had history and yes, that you know for for some reason Gralis is up to something we can we can you know spoil alert for those who haven't read the comic yet like he yeah. is up to something like yeah. there, something is up and he's seemingly working with Kron and Raz I mean I don't know if he's a double agent or whatever but you know I think at one time you know he and Terran shared something but then what happened was just that Terran turned him down and then that you know, she was more dedicated to her cause. And I guess, mm -hmm. in a sense, that was her love. Um, That's of her love, exactly. Her, her own people. Her love, her love is her people, her culture, yeah. Yeah, to the preservation of her civilization, whereas with Grouse, he's more like, you know, he's kind of a little more disillusioned, if you will. That, that's a good word and 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 speaking on Taryn, her love is it's also about her love of uh, her responsibility. She has a love of what she her obligation. Like her duty. Yeah, and it, it's not a job for her. It's something that she feels it's an honor for her to do it. So she takes it very seriously. Yeah, it's love. And I feel like too, like um, one of the questions I wanted to ask too, speaking of that, was is that, is that what brings um, Reggie, Colin, Annie, Taryn, and all these other characters together? When you say brings them together, um, no, it's not that. There's a little bit of a story behind so we don't want to give away stuff in the story, obviously, but um, what brings them together is circumstances that, that that was not completely planned. And Taryn is just basically trying to make the best of a situation that she didn't expect. Um, but to give you guys a little bit of a background, um, it, it's, it feels like if you're reading the book, you're going to say, well, it feels like there's aliens out there that know about Earth and they know about humans. Well, the fact of the matter is they do. I think most of us probably feel that way. Most yeah. of us probably feel that way just watching YouTube or if you're Google, if you're on Facebook, you probably have an idea that maybe most of these videos are fake. 99.9% .9 of them are fake. Sorry to tell you guys. Um, <laughs> as much as I love sci-fi, I don't think we've been visited that many times. 
Have we been visited? I don't know. I'm not really a scientist, but I will tell you that common sense will tell you out of a billion, 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 billions of stars out there, we're not the only ones with intelligent life. Um, does that mean that they've been here? I don't know. Does that mean that they will come here? I don't know. Um, but it, the idea that we're the only living, existing intelligent life out there amongst the stars, personal opinion, not speaking for the heavens decoded as a book, but just my personal opinion, it's crazy to think that we're the only ones out there. Now, what that means is this race of people that Taryn and Gralis are from, they're supposed to be highly scientifically advanced people, which means that they probably have access to knowledge that we don't understand and we, and we can't understand. Um, so they probably not only know about intelligent life in our system, they're aware of other forms of intelligent life other places. And again, this is sci-fi fantasy. So what are we saying? Are we saying that Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader exist? No, we don't think they exist. We know they don't exist. But we know that it's sci-fi fantasy, so we accept it. And that's what this is. This book is based off of reality, but it's not reality. Um, there's nothing in Heaven's Dakota that says we know for a fact that there's aliens out there. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, mean, I also would like. I also want to say. I want to pat myself on the back here. I need to say this. I have to say it. I've been waiting to say it for months. I created Prism, a space organization, um, paramilitary response to intergalactic security matters. I came up with that idea way before our former president thought of the space force. I just want to make yeah, that. Oh, I was going to say that. <laughs> I want to make that Space absolutely Force, clear. Yeah. I was working on my book, and I turn on the news one day, and I, I hear uh, Donald Trump come on and say that they're doing the Space Force, and I damn near threw my phone across the room. I said, son <laughs> of a bitch. <laughs> it's almost like son he, like, he like reached in, right? Like He almost like yeah. reached in your head and like, went, whoop. I was like, know? all right, they're watching my computer. This is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but but I want I want to be uh, kind of clear about this. Prism really is not a because I think people are going to ask about this. It's it's very important. Prism is uh, I wouldn't say run by the United Nations, but they're endorsed by the United Nations, which means that they work underneath the purview of the United Nations. But not all the nations agree and are involved in in Prism. What that means is that there's a, there's like eleven nations that are involved in the funding of of Prism. So it's not all member nations that are involved. Um, however, there's um, the citizens of basically every country on earth can join PRISM. So they're an international organization, but they're sort of private. If you want to think of like, I don't know, one of these sort of private military organizations that they have here, they send them in the Middle East. It's sort of the same concept, except they're sending them in space. It's so if you want like to think of them, yeah, well, and also they're contractors. I mean, you can think of it as contractors, basically. Um, Shield, yeah, I would say Shield is similar to that. Absolutely, this is a little bit different because there is more. There is a lot of political sort of uh, uh, tugging because there's people who don't really know what Prism does, and um, basically one of the main characters in the book, she's a very important part of the series actually, is Secretary Isabel Mendoza. I, I think you were going to ask me about her. Um, she's kind of like the chess master. I'm giving some things away here, but she's the chess master, and pretty much it is a at least so far in the universe. She's not just in this book. She's gonna be a main character going forward even after the series. Um, she's an important part. Um, she knows a lot and that's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> she knows a lot and she's involved in a lot of stuff. She's also covering for things that she doesn't want these countries to know about what PRISM is doing. So if that makes any sense, she has PRISM doing things that she doesn't want Earth to know about. 
So she has her own. She has her own agenda. I like those kind of characters too, who are just you know they they're like subtle characters, but they're kind of like the ones who I feel are like they're 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 like the they're like you know the chess players of the of the story, if you will. Like they yeah. they know they you know when you look when you see like a master chess player, you don't really know his or her moves and all that. Right. They're they're like a couple moves ahead of you, and you don't right. even know it. Like those kind yeah. of characters, I like like. If you've seen Falcon and the Winter Soldier, for instance, like, yeah. it's like Helmet Zemo. Like he is just yeah. a crazy strategist, and right. he's always made, two steps ahead. He's yeah. always two that's, steps ahead, and that's what Isabel is. Isabel has her own agenda, and and whether whether we reveal what that is going forward, I haven't completely decided. I have an idea, but I do know that people will see that she's more powerful than people think, and that she knows a lot of information. And Prism was not made by accident. What I mean by that is. She had a hand in it, and she has an agenda. So um, that's going to be very interesting. I really hope people really are really going to get into the story because, like I said, Heaven's Decoded is a springboard to this universe. It's not just about this one or two characters. Um, but it's a, it, there's a lot of a lot of intrigue in terms of interrelationships, personal relationships that are either going to be built and formed, and some are going to be frayed. You already mentioned Gralis and Taryn, but that may not be the only relationship that may get free, mm. but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell you more than that. <laughs> yep. Lips are sealed. Huh? Lips are sealed. It's like Lips you know. are sealed. Yep, yep. I don't know how many people are gonna see this, so I gotta be careful what I say. <laughs> You're right. And uh, yeah, so that's that's really awesome. And I wanted to kind of touch base on like when you said that, you know, like of course it's you know, with stories like like this where it's like of course it's about fate, you know, it's, it's not really, you know, the fact that, sci-fi fantasy, yeah. yeah, but you know, th- at the same time though, I feel like it's like going back to my sister again, she um, mm-hmm. told me something really interesting. Like, even though these stories are fiction, right, there is some truth to them, mm-hmm. you know, about Absolutely. what the, you know, about the stories that they tell, like in terms of the storytelling, there is actual truth. I mean, you look at, yeah. again, like with, you know, Heaven's Decoded, for instance, you know, there's some truth that, you know, it's possible that there could be, you know, some life out there that we don't know about, maybe, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, and And do you and do you trust whatever powers that may be, whatever whatever your faction you come from yeah. or what you represent, do you trust government agencies to share that information? I'm not talking about UFOs landing. I'm talking about just as an example, let's just say they had information, they had a piece of an artifact somewhere where they said, We know that this is not from Earth. Are you absolutely sure that they would tell us about it? Or if they did, that they would tell you where it is, or what it means, or where That's it came question. from, yeah. or when it went. If they admitted it came from space, would they say it landed here a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago? Would they tell you the truth? Would you even know? I mean, so there's a lot of things that I don't think we really ever really know, and I think that for, for me as a writer, that's fascinating. It gives me a lot of clay to play with, you know. So that's what I kind of did. I, I used a little bit of reality and what's out there. And I pulled it in from different sources to create something else. But um, none of these are things that I say I quote unquote believe. It's just it's just done for fun, for creative purposes. Um, and even Prism, to a certain degree, I had to use them as a vehicle. I needed something to connect Earth with space. So I came up with this organization. The narrative um, bridge. Right. And, and so and I'm going to give a little bit of a, a I would say, a spoiler. There is a hint in this book, because I was asked about it, I think it wasn't by you, it was somebody else. It was another writer who was, I'm, I'm kind of talking and working with a little bit on some on some future projects. 
and he had read the script and he said so have we made contact with aliens and we had first contact because he said his impression from prism is that the way that they were reacting in in, in some pages in the book is that or the way they were talking that they didn't seem very surprised and i said that should be kind of obvious i'm really basically stating that prism is hiding things that's what prism actually does their purpose is to find things and hide it from people on earth that's what their job is their job is to find artifacts find information if there is if there is but if they find it is to conceal it conceal it and see what they can take advantage of it now that doesn't necessarily mean in an evil way take advantage of it it means um, maybe it's something that could be dangerous. It could be something that could have chemical. Um, if it goes know, to the wrong <laughs> hands, yeah. Yeah, if it goes to the wrong hands. So this also could be for security purposes, which is again paramilitary response to intergalactic security matters. If it's a security threat to Earth, then Prism should probably have their hands on it before it falls into, you know, hand of X nation. You know, leader of X nation on Earth gets their hands on it. It can make, turn it into. A weapon of mass destruction so that would be the purpose of why prism would keep it not you know for some sort of an arrogant desire to just keep it because they think they're important but it's just more of you know to keep everybody safe um so yeah that could that could be twisted and turned into whichever perspective you look at it could be turned into something evil but some people might say it's a good thing that they're doing it you know what i mean yeah totally i mean it just you know there's a whole justification of like why people hide things or governments keep secrets or yeah right like they say it in the name of protecting others <laughs> and, and that and that's what i think is kind of interesting about prism is i don't really portray them as angels from the beginning i'm letting people know that they're hiding things i mean i mean it's a, it's, it's gray it's i mean it's, yeah. it's not really black and white per se but exactly. it's, it's a gray exactly. area exactly and that's where the political intrigue comes in what, what does Isabel know? Does she know about this? Why is she doing it? Why is she allowing it? Is she allowing it? So there's a lot of questions that, you know, may or may not be answered in this series. Yeah, and I don't think I want to give it away yet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I want to give it away yet. Oh, no. I think she's interesting. There's a, there's a whole lot more to her that I'm not going to get into now, but some um, some interesting things about her personality. She's kind of a... She's a she's a, a an escape from what the idea of, of what a UN Secretary General should be. She's a different personality, which I think is that makes her fascinating alone, honestly. Well, I mean, we touch on a lot of like the characters, especially you know Colin and Reggie, um, right. and Colin's past too. Um, are we going to see flashbacks of like Colin's past um, as a as a young man, or you know him growing up? I'm so glad you you brought that up. Um, I don't want to tell people exactly what's going to happen in part two and three, but I will say that um, Heavens Decoded, the limited series that I'm working on here, um, I really do want to continue. That's the plan. That if you know if you guys get on and you like the story and you back it, and we can do part two and part three, I'm telling you right now what I already know that I'm doing. What me and this writer Caleb Caleb Turner is his name. Caleb is a young writer. He's very gifted. He's, you know, got his teeth into part two and three. He already knows what's going to happen, and he loves it. He loves this series, and he's excited about it, and um, we're, we're just bouncing ideas off of each other constantly. And I can tell you right now, the stories are so much better. Once this series is over, it's going to blow you away. I can't tell you right now, Brian, but I'm telling you, there's a whole lot more coming you just don't understand. <laughs> I think Heaven's Dakota, I'm almost excited to get part three over with because that's how much 
so much fun, crazy stuff is actually coming from this, just from this limited series alone. Wow. So when I say springboard, I mean really, like I'm not just using it as a word. It literally is a springboard to a whole lot more. I actually have two series that I'm thinking of spinning off of this already that I already know that I can't mention right now, but where I'm already in the works with some staff. Um, I have a couple of writers and I have another artist that's interested. So we're actually already forming the ideas going forward. I'm going to do it regardless. Whether the, whether I reach the goal or not, I'm doing this because I'm a writer. That's what I'm trying to tell you. I'm that's a writer. Right, man. I have to create, you know, and um, there's it's gotta more come out somehow. It is going to come out somehow. I'm going to get it out there. If I have to sell my car, if I have to go sell oranges on the corner to get the money to print it, I'm going to do it. Man, that's like dedication right there, man. I love the story. I love the story and I love the universe. It's, it's developing at a very quick rate. And then the amount of people that are in my DMs on Instagram sending me messages saying, you know, they want to get involved, they have ideas, they want to work on it. I'm like, give me a second. <laughs> Let me get part two and three out. But I mean, I have people that want to that want to do stuff and I'm, uh, I have ideas. I'm ready to go. But I just got to get this series out to everybody because I, I don't want people to be left out. I don't want to rush it. You know, I don't want people to, I don't want this thing to get out too quickly. And then, you know, it sort of just falls on top of each other. I want people to kind of like learn the characters and get like absorb it. Yeah. Yes. Absorb it. Because these characters in this one, the ones that I've introduced, and that was another reason why it took so long is I had to find a way to not just in part one, I'm talking about the whole series how to give everybody a little bit of their own time so people can sort of see who they are. Um, I, I'll admit it's not fair. Some are going to get a little less time in certain situations, but um, that wasn't totally not by design. That's because there's things I want to reveal later. And I didn't, you know, you don't want to like unleash everybody's backstory in a three part series. That's just crazy. You can't do that. Oh no. It would be convoluted and it would be boring. And then you see these, uh, these graphic novels are like 140 pages, and it's like, who wants to read 140 pages in a book? Like, that's crazy. I can't. I don't have time for that. You got to give them a story, give them the characters that are interesting, and then build off of that. Um, and then those this, can come later. Yeah, those can come. You, you're leaving. When you're doing a graphic novel that's too long, you're you're basically giving away story for no reason. Let them let them like the characters, learn the characters, and um, I think. Out of all the three parts, I think maximum, don't quote me on this, because there might be rewrites, there might be edits here and there. I think the most pages of any one of these books is 36 pages. Could be 38 for part three, could be 38. But um, that's, you know, you want to give people their right amount of space and time to learn their characters and, and, and let the story flow and breathe. But yeah. you don't, you don't want to give too much story, because then it becomes a movie and a book, and you don't want that. Yeah, that's a good way of, of describing it, too, because, um, you know, for me, like, I was just going to ask you, too, like, the process of creating Heaven's Decoded, like, in terms of the writing, drafting of the story, the art, like, the color and the penciling, and the editing, what, like, what went into all that? Well, so first of all, what we haven't mentioned today is the amazing work that Josh Harris has done on this, on this project. Um, I, I gotta tell you, I don't know where Heaven's Decoded would be in terms of um, the timing of it and getting it out. If I was doing it on my own and trying to try it myself, it would have taken me five years or maybe six. Um, he helped me so much with concept designs as far as like what spaceships would look like because I can't draw. I, I would come up with little doodles and say, I want it to look like this. And then, you know, he recreated and sent it back. And we'd do that for like two weeks. We would work on spaceship design for just like two weeks alone. Wow. Um, the, learner, the learner gear, 
uh, we worked on that for over a month. It was just prototype after prototype after prototype. And I was like, no, let's try that. And we leave it alone. And he'd say, oh, guess what? I got a different way of doing the arms. I got a different way of doing the legs. What do you think of this? What do you think of that? And this went on for weeks. Uh, Josh Harris was very instrumental in helping getting this book off the ground. And he helped me visualize my ideas that I had in my head that I couldn't get on paper. He helped me put it on paper. And then he helped me think it through. Uh, that would look good. I don't think that would work. Is this what you really want? Is that what you really want? So he helped me figure things out. Um, he was very important in that process. But it was a lot of concept work. I didn't anticipate that. Um, I learned a lot from Josh. Josh has been in the comic book industry a couple of years, uh, maybe five years, maybe longer than that. And um, he was able to like sort of teach me things as I was doing it with him. And um, there was a lot of design work and concept work that had to go in. Even after the story was partially written, I thought that was it. I thought I was done. And then I realized, wow, there's a whole lot more that it, it, it was stuff that had to be done. So my advice, if you're a writer and you have your own project and you've never done one before, get all your ducks in a row. Get all your design aspects in a row. Don't make the artist do all the work like I did to Josh. <laughs> I, did, I drove him crazy. Um, and, you know, you get your ideas down, even if they look ugly and they look goofy. If you think you want the costume to look like this, then, then draw it and Google, and Google it, you know, and keep copies of things that you did and then show it to the artist and say something like this. Uh, if you want the building to look a certain way, then do some doodles and some sketches, save it in your note, you know, in your app, in your iPhone or whatever, save it and send it. Let the artist see what your thoughts are and let them figure it out. But if you don't have those ideas now, it's going to make your process take much, much, much longer. And um, that's what happened. We got stuck in process for about six months for design process. Wow. That was not, I'm not counting layouts or pages or anything. I'm talking about just concepts. So you want to do the homework first. You want to do that. You want to figure out what you want. If they, if you've got a character who doesn't have superior power, that's fine. If you have them wearing a suit and you have certain gadgets, design those gadgets on your own. Figure out what they look like. Come up with the names. Do all your work. Um, but that, that was the most difficult part. Um, I have to be honest. Heaven's Decoded was not three parts. Heaven's Decoded was one long book. Oh, wow. It was one long book. And... That, that's why I said what I said earlier. The 78 pages, it was 78 or 83, I think, after rewrites. It was like 83 pages. And then we decided we're going to break it into three parts. If I had done it as 83 pages, I don't think people would be interested in it. I think they would have liked the first part of it, and they would have said, okay, this is taking too long. So what we did was I took the book, I split it into three parts, I found the pages, and I said, okay, this is a good place to break it. Then I went to part two, and said, this is a good place to break it. And then I broke them up. And then I went back into part one, part two, part three, and individually went back in and fixed it so the ending flowed. And then I went into part two, and I made I made the beginning so that way it had a nice intro. It doesn't feel like I just chopped it. It feels like three separate stories. It literally is a movie, a movie sequel, and then a movie third part. I literally made it three separate stories, and that's what I'm working on now. Uh, part three is what I'm working on right now, which is... We actually had part three. It was written. I just chopped off one and two, and now I'm working on part three and making it flow right. So part three has a nice beginning, has a nice middle, and a nice, nice ending. The story was already there. The panels, the descriptions, the dialogue, but I had to make it so that way each story was its own separate story now. Instead of one long story, I've made it three separate stories. Well, so it's like a trilogy. You know, I, had a, I had a couple of pages here and there I had to adjust. It wasn't a lot. It's not a lot. 
I only for part two and three, I only had to do a couple of pages over. And Caleb was helping me with some rewrites of part two. I had already written part two, as I said, but when I looked at part two again, I was like, you know, when you're a creator, you can like your own stuff too much. So what I liked about Caleb is that Caleb was able to read my stuff and then say, I like this, but maybe try this scene this way. You know, we'd play it out like, like we were the characters in the page. And he'd say, is this what this person would say? Is this how they would react to this? And so I thought about it and we discussed it. And then he said, okay, look, I'm gonna do my version of this page and I'm gonna send it to you and you tell me what you think. And then we kind of, we went through it like that. And so he did, a, he did a, a couple of pages on part two and now we're working on part three right now. It's amazing. But, yeah. And like one, one thing that stood out to me was like um, the first part of the first issue where the uh, shaman is um, writing that symbol in the, in the first part. And he said that mm. the symbol stands for like a universal philosophy and that a philosophy that says that one can stand for something bigger than themselves. And that's no lie. And that's a sign of courage. That was like one of my favorite parts that stood out to me. And I can also yeah. see that symbol on the captive's arm when Reggie's thrown into the cell with him when he's captured right. and, um, will we be seeing more of that symbol from the perspective of Reggie, who's studying these symbols, and also from the antagonist perspective as well? Yeah, the um, the symbol that you're talking about is also the one in the logo. I don't know if you can see the book or not, but what's a little cheesy there. That's the cover of the book. Ah, I, I see the sword and all that. It looks it might see a Darth Vader. Yeah, it's a it's a sword. It's a sword made of, of lava. It's called a Raska. Raska, nice. Yeah, it's a Raska, and it's uh, that just means uh, it means sword of fire in their language. That's what Raska means in their language, sword of fire, and uh, it's lava. And um, that symbol right there—that's the one you're talking about. That's the same one that she drew. The the, uh, the symbol is very important in this series. Again, Reggie, Doctor Reggie Rockland is—he um, is a symbologist. You know, he's passionate about symbols. He's an archaeologist, but he, he specializes in symbols and hieroglyphics. Um, and so that's why this is very interesting. But I can't give away too much. <laughs> I'm not going to ramble on about that one because that, that's kind of key to the story. So that's why, that's why we picked that symbol. I, I picked that symbol for the, uh, for the logo uh, because it has a lot to do with, uh, with basically Reggie's story. That's all I can really tell you. Um, but yeah, so the, the sage is, is what you're talking about. And she draws a symbol in the dirt. And basically, it's a universal philosophy, like you said, and it transcends, um, you know, species of life, whether you're Earth human or you're an alien on some other planet, another galaxy. This symbol basically means something to many people um, across the universe. It just hasn't reached Earth yet. People don't know about it on Earth, obviously. Um, but but I can't go into too much detail. I'm trying to be careful here. <laughs> right. I, I didn't I didn't rehearse this, so <laughs> I, I I don't really know how to explain this without saying anything. But basically, it's important to Reggie. That's all I can say. It's key to the story. It's key to the series, and people will understand that soon. And when creating these symbols, did you like do like a little research on symbols like from the Navajo Code Talkers or from hieroglyphics from ancient Egypt? <sighs> I would love to give you a really cool story and say that I did some research on it, but I didn't. I just doodled. Nice. <laughs> There's really no cool story. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I knew I wanted to do something simplistic. So what I did was, um, I, the concept is stand, you can stand for something bigger than yourself. So if you look at the logo again, it is a small sphere with a smaller sphere. One can stand something bigger than themselves. 
So the one dot is bigger than the other one. So basically what it means is that you can stand for something bigger than yourselves, meaning you could be this, but you could also be this. If you stand for something that means something, you could be this. You don't have to just be this. You could be this or you could be this. You understand? Oh, wow. yeah. so, so, so the symbol really isn't about the dots. It's about a, it's a representation of what it actually means. If you go back to what she said, she said it's, it means some standing for something bigger than yourself. It that makes have sense. Be, it have to be circle. Yeah, it could, it could have been square and a bigger square. It's, it's a representation. That's what symbols and languages are, is that when, when I'm talking to you right now, my words aren't really, how do I say this? This is gonna, now we're getting in the weeds, but words are really basically representations of our thoughts, right? The words themselves are not the language. The, the words are, are translating what I'm thinking and what I want to tell you. Right? Yes. So, yeah. so like when we were cavemen, if I wanted to go like this, you would know that I'm saying I'm cold. Right. Right? It's like, it's like yeah, language. It's universal. It's universal. And that's what that is. Those dots could mean anything. It doesn't have to be dots. It could be, it could be dots to that stage in the, in the beginning, in the prologue. It could also be squares. It could be triangles. Something bigger than themselves. So big dot, little dot. And so on another planet, it might not be dots. It might be a different symbol because that's what languages are. Languages change. Just how you can say, you know, zapatos in Spanish and in French you Jeez. say zapat. Right. So, I mean, it, it, the thing is, is that it all still means the same thing. It's still the same object. It just has a different name and, and different language. So the dots are the same thing. In her language, it's dots. On another planet, it could mean, it could be different symbols. So it's not really about the symbol. It's about what it represents. It represents standing for something bigger than yourselves. That dot, those dots just basically are the representation of that thought. That is brilliant. Thank you. But yeah. so that's why I didn't put a lot of thought into it because for me, what I was trying to, what I was trying to project was stand for something bigger than yourself. That's what came to my mind first, not the symbol. The symbol only became a representation of that statement. I had to think of something. What would, what would that look like if I said? Stand for something bigger than yourselves. And the only thing I could think of was, for some reason, the first thing that came to my mind was a dot and a bigger dot. Stand for something bigger than yourself. If, if I see an old lady getting beat up, mm. I'm going to jump in up to defend her. I'm not doing it for me. I'm doing it for her. Right. That's why Heaven's Decoded is about what? Love. Love. Stand for something bigger than yourself. Sacrifice. Give of yourself for others. It's called, it's pretty much being a hero. And who does that? Exactly. That's what I was about to say. Who does that? A hero. Do you get it now? Yeah, totally do. I don't got to tell you anymore. I'm not saying it. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I think that in itself is a hidden symbol too. Stand for something bigger than yourself. Yep. That's that's a that's a worthy cause to live for too. I mean, stand for something bigger than yourself. And that's that's universal. That's anybody, right? Yeah. And that's that's where that's where Doctor Rock's Doctor Doctor Rockman's uh, his journey is about. His journey is about learning about who he needs to be. Because what did we talk we talked about in the beginning is about finding yourself, about how I became a writer again. I realized that I had been a writer all along and I got away from it. It's about finding yourself. So that's what this book, this book is a reflection of my own journey in a way too, is that 
I'm sort of living what Reggie's going through, which is I went through all these things to come full circle to realize I'm a writer still. I can pretend to be this. I'm a, I do recruiting during the day, but I'm not really a recruiter, Brian. I'm not. You know right. that. <laughs> I was a hotel general manager before that. I'm not a hotel general manager. I'm not. This is what I do. It's I'm a writer. It's not just who about you are, yeah. I, I, it's who I am. Yeah. You have a job. What you do to get paid is not what you are. That makes you know, sense. So, I mean, and and it, so, yeah, it, and, and, that, and that's Reggie's. That's what's what Reggie has to figure out. It's stand for something bigger than yourself. In other words, find out who you are. It's his journey about finding out who he really is and who he needs to be. That's, that's the best way. Journey. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like you know mm -hmm. we talk about symbols and all that, and like also too like with what other. Um, organizations like prison represent and all that and um i want to ask too that do you, do you like do you like their symbol <laughs> the triangle the triangle prisms if you had a prism triangle it's, it, it, i mean it kind of looks like government like an ominous government symbol like you know yes, like yeah we're the government absolutely. you know a little, a little a sort of illuminati-ish right illuminati, because if notice, yeah if you notice the triangle is broken that, that's that's that. true yeah it's not a complete triangle. There's a meaning behind that. It's like the U.S. dollar or the the, the one dollar mm -hmm. bill with like the right. the uh, um, little pyramid, and then there's that eye and the. Like... It's the eye, right? There, there's a lot of that stuff, actually. You know, um, Dr. Rothman is not the only one uh, fascinated with symbols. Is obviously we talked about the logo and heavens decoded the the, the circles. Um, the prism logo, actually, uh, I want to say, was actually created before heavens decoded logo. Um, the, the prism logo, the, bro the broken triangle, what it sim signifies is it's a missing piece. So what are they doing? They're finding the missing they're, piece. They're looking for the missing pieces. They're looking for stuff. They're being nosy. <laughs> they're being nosy. And like, and that, that's ahead. what the broken triangle means. Yeah, it's a missing piece. It, 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 it signifies that they're always looking for something, really. That right. Piece. And speaking of um, organizations like prism and the teachers, and we meet the Othox too as well. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a panel where Kron tells about Mensor, Menasor, murdering mm -hmm. the yes. forefather Noag, and it got me thinking if there was going to be, if we're going to see Menasor Noag in the future, perhaps. Yes. And... So, not to give it away, but yes. Yeah, so the title of the subtitle of the book is called "Shadows of the Ancient Architect," and we didn't talk about this. Um, so Menasor is the architect, and that's going to be revealed uh, in the series. Um, but he is the architect. He's the ancient architect, and that's who he's referring to. Uh, there was an incident. Um, so Kron, uh, we're not talking about where in the book, but basically Kron has a ceremony where he's getting his people riled up. He's a prophet. He's an emotional, spiritual leader. He's not, and this I think could be confused. He's not a um, he's not a political leader. He's their emotional leader. If you understand what that means, um, well, he's kind of like. Yeah, he's the kind of guy that he's not necessarily the leader, but he's he's who they turn to um, in their time of strife. They're basically exiles from their planet, and he's the one who's made sure that they survived. He's made sure that they got ships when they needed it. They don't have their own ships. They've had to steal them. They've had to barter for them. They've had to work for them. Um, he's fought and scrapped and scraped to keep those people alive, so they believe in him. They trust him. Um, he's like a father figure to them. He's a, like a religious figure. He's not he's not a like an outlaw. I don't want people to think of him as Darth Vader or something like that. He's not that at all. He uses his um, his charisma 
to motivate people. He doesn't have control over them. He he is violent, but he um, what he uses to run his people is their faith. They believe in him. It's an emotional thing. It's not it's not that they don't look at him and they say, oh, yeah, we could kill this guy. There's more of us than him. They could kill him if they wanted, but they don't because they love him. Heaven's decoded. They love him. They love him. They revere him. So they would give their lives for him. That's interesting. So he doesn't have he doesn't have a fear of them turning on him or or saying, oh, if I do something wrong, they're gonna kill me. They won't. They'll kill themselves first. You know. So um, he's an interesting character. But w what you're referring to is the ancient architect did something a long, long time ago that caused their exile. And this this series will go into that. I'm not gonna give everything away, but so the person you're talking about is Nog. Nog is the Othax forefather. He is the one that Menasor killed. And um, they're basically, they're angry. They're angry because they're exiles and so they hate the ancient architect and they intend to make him pay um, for what, they, what he's caused their people. And so Kron allows them, to, he, he puts the salve on their wounds. He, he makes them feel like they have a purpose even though they don't have anything. Um, whatever they have, like I said, they're, they're outlaws. They're basically outlaws. They're bandits. They steal ships. They kill people. They enslave people. Um, the scenes that are in this first part, you'll see the stuff that's happening in the book. It's all, it's, it's, it's the Othax that are running that. Um, I'm not giving everything away in the book, but you've already seen it. Um, I think you're thinking about the, the prison scene. That prison. Yeah. That has, yeah. has Kron's finger, fingers all over it. Um, so he has reach. He doesn't have his own planet, but he has reach. And so he's able to manipulate people and planets, some civilizations on planets that have fear of him. They fear his people. So he doesn't have to have a planet. He doesn't need his own planet. He can go wherever he needs to go. And um, we see that in this book in the first part. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I felt, and I felt like too, like with all that, um, we see a whole lot of world building too, in a sense. I, I feel like we're going to be introduced to a whole lot of worlds, which yes, you are. <laughs> makes for a great storytelling. Let me tell you, I love world. I love storytelling that involves a lot of world building. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. Um, I can't take all the credit for that. That's for me talking to a lot of people. Um, mm -hmm. I did, I did a lot of, I went back to my childhood. There were times I got stuck in the story, to be honest with you. And I just went back and I just watched a bunch of old cartoons, read comic books. I, you know, I, I even watched some romantic comedies. What I really wanted to do was, um, and I know that sounds shocking. What I mean by that is I wanted to get back to the heart of, of people and storytelling. What are things that drive people? What are people's motivations? What are things that make somebody feel pain? I wanted to break it down on the most simple um, level. And so that's where I found my story at. I found my voice when I started looking at it as, don't look at it as a comic book. Don't look at it as comic book characters. Look at it as people who might actually exist and what would be their story? What would be That's that person's perfect. motivation? What would make that person's motivation? Why would they be doing this? If they were exiles and if I was part of those exiles, what would I be willing to do? If I was Kron wow. and I had to motivate these people and keep them engaged where I don't lose them, because again, he has no actual control over them, just emotional. So if I was Kron, what would I do to keep control of those people? Well, we see that in part one. You can see what he's doing. You can see that from the page that he's literally pushing their buttons emotionally. There's motive them. there, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And so we all can relate to this. We know what a demagogue looks like. We we've seen it before. 
We've seen it with, with uh, Mussolini and Hitler. And that's what he's doing the same thing. And, and so the point of that is none of this is unique to just Earth, that it's possible in space there could be cultures where there are people who could be evil and they could be good and they could be great, right? And yep. so the question is, the real question is people need to ask themselves after they finish reading this book is, do they really know for a fact who the villain is? Do they really, really know? Or do they think they know? Ah. So you have to ask yourself, you have to ask yourself, if you were in exile, what would you do? If you were in exile and you had people that followed you and you had nothing to give them and you didn't know how you were going to feed them, how would you keep them engaged so that they can stay alive? Is he really a bad person or is he just trying to keep them going? Those are questions that people have, they have to ask themselves that. And, and again, I'm not going to tell everybody what's happening. And then again, it may not even be answered in this series. But I think that he's also, again, an interesting character. I don't mean that to sound like I'm patting my own back, but <laughs> I, found, I found him to be more interesting the more I worked on him. I realized that there's a whole lot more layers to him and what his motivations are and how he operates. And then the discussion is people are going to learn about their culture. Why does Raz do everything for him? Why? Because in their culture, people of Kron's ilk, that class, it's about classism. Kron's class and his culture, they have one person assigned to them their whole life. Raz is basically like his valet. He's his protector. So Raz cannot go against Kron even if he disagrees with him. Because he's assigned to him by, from birth. Like a second-in-command, sort of an insurance policy. Yeah, yeah. Like, like serfdom in a way, too. Certain, yeah. yeah. And so he's assigned to him for life. And so there's a lot of interesting things about their culture that's different. If you if you talk about the, the ceremony, we're not going to give it away, but there's a ritual at the end of the book. That ceremony, that ritual that's in the book, um, that's very fascinating. It's different. It's they they basically call on their ancestors to make their weapons, to fortify their weapons. Wow. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot going on. <laughs> there's a lot. And uh, it took a lot of time and a lot of um, – I got a lot of advice and a lot of ideas from people, and, and it was very helpful. I, I went and I did, I did do some research on uh, historical cultures um, from different parts of the world, religions and things like that. Because Kron is a religious leader, ultimately speaking. Um, he, he uses their faith and their beliefs that may or may not be all accurate. And the other question you have to ask is, does he know that it's not accurate? Is he using it to his advantage? And so there's a lot, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff going on here. There's a lot, a lot, Brian. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Uh, but yeah, sometimes I feel, you know, this, this book and the world building you're talking about is so heavy. I did have to walk away from the project. I think I got burned out after I did do the three parts and I knew that I had to break it up. After I broke it up, I walked away from the book, like completely from the project. Um, I knew the art was being done and I left Josh alone and I just kind of like I unplugged from comics in general for like a month. Well, sometimes have you have to, to you know, you, you kind of have to like, you know, rest when you have a burnout because if you burn out and you're still, you know, going at it. Um, yeah. Yeah, it is. It is deflates. And then I had to recharge myself for the promotional aspect of this book because it became uh, it became a different thing because you go from the creative process to promotional, which yeah. is getting getting people to know what you're actually doing and that you're trying to get something out. And stuff that, out was, there, yeah. that was a, that was a learning process for me too, because I had to learn how to manipulate and, and manage social media and 
Um, it's a lot of work, man. I, I give I give kudos to everybody that's been doing it. And I wasn't part of this industry four or five years ago. And I realized now there was no Kickstarter what 10, 15 years ago. Oh, so no. I don't know what people I don't yeah. know what indie I don't know what indie comic people did, but man, I respect the hustle, man. There's so much work that goes into this. People think it's just writing the book or drawing the book. It's that's so much only, more. That's only like forty percent of the whole thing. I mean, a lot of it's just uh, from what I've learned over the last couple of um, episodes that I've done. Like I've learned that it's a team process. You know, everyone yes. has to be involved in creating a comic. It's Absolutely. not a one man army kind of thing. I mean, it can be, but you know, I just want to give part, a shout. I want to give a shout out to uh, one guy who really saved this project. Um, well, actually, two guys. Obviously, the editor Chuck Pino. He's very, um, very well known in the indie comic industry. He did Welcome mm-hmm. to the Void. He's doing Belial, um, Essence House. Uh, he, he has a podcast. He does Essence House. Um, but Jerome Gagnon from Canada, his lettering, what he did for this book, wow. <laughs> he's also the one who helped me create the logo um, for Heaven's Decoded. Um, but he's do, he did the lettering in the book. But he's much more than a letterer. He really is a very creative mind. He's very experienced. He's been doing a lot of indie comics for a while, and uh, he has a lot of work. A lot of people are after Jerome right now. So I got very lucky to have him on this project because he's very wanted right now. Um, I got wow. a great team. I got a really great team, man. Josh, Chuck, and Jerome. You talk about team. This this book really is a reflection of everybody in this project. Um, and then also the guys, the artists that I have doing the variant covers as well, and the T-shirts. Uh, we have we have quite a few artists that were really interested in working on this project in many different ways. And I was very fortunate. I was very fortunate. It's really uh, awesome. To have people. Yeah, it's awesome. I I honestly I can tell you that um, this has been a learning experience for me, but it's been fun. It really is. I'm very proud of what we did. Wow. So um, we're about to wrap it up right now. Um, the last question I wanted to ask you is, what do you hope um, readers um, get out of Heaven's Decoded? What do you want mm. readers to take away or perhaps decode? Um, I would say the most important thing is, and I think people will, I can't give away everything in the story, obviously, but I think the first thing people should take from it, and they will probably, is it tells a story about people not taking it, uh, people for granted. Wow. Don't take don't take people for granted. And um, again, I can't give that away. Um, but basically, if it's like we talked about several times, not to not to be over repetitive, but it's a story about love. It's a story about love of self, love of family, love of friends, um, love of uh, your your culture, your people, love from so many different angles. But it really ultimately is about love and and not taking things for granted. That's basically what it's about. Heaven's Decoded actually is, uh, if I'm completely honest, the more I think about it, I feel like it's it's a self-troll. Because really, Heaven's Decoded really just means it's about us. I like Heaven's, that. De- Heaven's Decoded, we think we're looking for the stars, we're looking for answers up there, but really they're right here. Yep. <laughs> that's correct. And, and that's what it shows. All, all these different aliens and, diff- and different cultures and different languages. When you get through all that, when you fight through all of it, you realize you come to it and you say, oh, it's really about us. But I didn't really want to tell people that. I want people to come to their own conclusion. I think that's what I feel. Um, it's not for me to tell somebody else when they're reading it what they should feel, but that's that's what I feel. I feel like it's about us. I like that, man. That's that's really awesome. It's poetic. And, yeah. and right now it's, uh, it's going out on Kickstarter. The Kickstarter, I believe, is going to be tomorrow. 
It launches tomorrow. You are Kickstarter Eve show. That's what this should be called, Kickstarter, Kickstarter Eve. Kickstarter Eve. Yeah, so... It, it launches officially at 5.30 p.m. tomorrow. Uh, you can go to my Instagram, Cypher Comics, or you can go to Heavens Decoded, at Heavens Decoded on Twitter. Uh, we have a website as well, HeavensDecoded.com, that also has all this information. We have a trailer for the Kickstarter. Um, th there should be uh, a lot of images, probably, that people haven't seen on the Instagram um but yeah it launches tomorrow i'm excited you can find the link to get a notify me on uh, instagram and on twitter as well that's awesome well that wraps it up for this episode of heavens decoded um thank you so much ronnie um for thanks a lot this was fun thank you yeah man it was fun discussing we hope to have i hope to have you back on again too especially if Definitely. you, you know when you continue on with this man Part two. Hopefully, if we get this thing fulfilled, I hope everybody supports it. Um, I have it ready to go, and um, I, I got a great uh, staff. It's going to help me get this stuff printed and shipped out. Everybody's just waiting, so we're just waiting to see how this thing goes. If we get this thing fulfilled, I, I want to do part two by end of summer. I'm ready to get it out. So hopefully everybody you know jumps on this thing, man. I, I really am excited to get this story out. Like I said, I will sell my car if I have to. I'll get it out. I have to get the story yeah. out. Man on the mission, dude. <laughs> thanks, but thanks, bro. All right, well, th um, good talking to you, man, and uh, thank you so much we'll for keep, being on. We'll keep, we'll keep in touch. And Definitely. by the way, did you tell the people about the t-shirts I sent you? Oh you yeah, post actually, post where are they? Show them up. Where I posted it on um, Instagram, but I can show you right now. Give me just yes. a second. Show the people now. Come on. Wait till you see this shirt, guys. Look at those bobbleheads in the back. That's so cool. I need to work on my studio game right here. There we go. There goes one of them. Hey! There we go. And there goes the other one. Yes. Yes, you can go to cypher.com and it'll take you to a link. If you go to the, uh, the menu, it'll take you to um, the store to get the merchandise. You can also go to Sirnova.com and my good friend Greg Mokin, who is a big, big part of this Kickstarter. He's an amazing guy. And let me tell you something, this platform is amazing. If you're a creator, you need to join us. They do amazing work for us. So I really just want to give a great shout out to Greg and Dylan over at Sirnova and Hector Borero. Studios. <laughs> I'm telling you guys, you need to go to our Instagram, go to Steer Noble Comics, and you're going to see a whole lot more interesting stuff. And you can get that t-shirt. There, there you it go. is. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on, man. And as I say, as I always say, constant listeners, and to you, Ronnie, stay ever so awesome. This is Brian Fred 16 signing out.